0: and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Adam. uh, And this is brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive uh, online course teaching Mandarin. Uh, With me today, I'm happy to have Priya Lalwani Perswani. Um, Before we start, Priya, why don't you give a short uh, introduction of yourself in Chinese, and then we'll go from there.
1: 各位听众,大家好! 我是李梅君,我来自印度,在台湾已经住了二十七年,我的工作是同步口译,我在台湾念大学以及研究所,现在在念博士,谢谢。Oh,
0: okay, very good. So you are originally from India, and yes. uh, and you've been here, you said, twenty-six years, is it?
1: Twenty-seven, Cross oh. twenty-seven already.
0: Wow, twenty-seven years. And you said your job is as a, a translator, a simultaneous translator? Interpret. Yes, oh.
1: simultaneous interpreter.
0: Oh, interpreter? Yeah. So interpreter is uh, live speaking?
1: Yes, it's oral translation as opposed to written translation.
0: Ah, oh, right, right, right. Okay. And uh, you mentioned you've done your degree, your, sorry, you've done your master's.
1: I did my undergrad here in uh-huh. business management okay. and also my master's. I did an MBA as well.
0: Oh, well, okay. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, get started going back in time. So what brought you to Taiwan initially uh, 27 years ago?
1: I came here with my parents. My father was a professor at a local university,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we moved. he was here as a visiting professor for six years. Oh. That's when we moved to Taiwan, and uh, that's when I started college here.
0: Oh, so this is your whole family?
1: Yes, my parents and my younger sister were oh. with us. Yeah.
0: So at the time, was that common for them to bring in visiting professors like this?
1: Not particularly. Um, but interestingly, that university had another Indian professor
2: mm-hmm.
1: who applied for a position at the university my dad was. That's how my dad heard about the university and he applied here. Oh. And he got accepted, and he was the only one. So when the other Indian left, my dad uh, went in, although it was in a different department. But it was not common.
0: So before coming to Taiwan, uh, had you ever lived outside of India before?
1: Yes, most of my life. Um, I was in Germany for two years when I was really young, in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And then in Nigeria for ten years. I have not spent much time in India.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So... uh So when you came to Taiwan, what was your initial uh, impressions of it as a place?
1: Um, We found it to be a really nice place mainly because of the people. The people were very kind and friendly. Um, I was a teenager at that time
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and um, we did not um, mix only with the other Indians. We kind of like uh, stayed near the university and tried to mix more with the locals. Mm-hmm. And we found it to be a very nice place. It, at that time, the amount of English spoken in general wasn't as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were even shyer than they are now. <laughs> um, but it was, it was really nice. So, overall positive.
0: So when you came here, I assume you didn't uh, speak any Chinese? Not at all. Hmm. So, uh, how was that? It was still okay to communicate?
1: Yes, people would try to um, make do with a little bit of English they knew and we had, we hired, um, let me say hi, we had a friend Mm -hmm. uh, who lived nearby and she started by teaching us a few basic um, Chinese phrases and I also started learning, my sister and I, we started learning the phonetic symbols. Okay. And uh, the first year was tough in university because all the edu- all the teaching, all the instruction was in Mandarin. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. So it was it was tough. <laughs> it was <laughs> a good challenge. <laughs> How uh, is that even back, possible? <laughs> I would not have it any other way. Looking back, right really? now. Yeah.
0: Just jump with both feet in.
1: Yeah, so we, we arrived here in February, uh-huh. and semester started in September. Okay. So those first seven months, mm-hmm. we had this tutor who would come in, and she started with the... Um, so we're, straight, we're now jumping into how we started learning Chinese.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, we started with the elementary school textbooks mm-hmm. for first grade.
0: So this you had to learn how to read.
1: Yeah, we would read characters. We also study the phonetic symbols. Mm-hmm. Plus, we would uh, also do some phrases like and numbers, things that we need for daily living. So, so these were the yes. three aspects that would that were proceeding simultaneously: simple characters from the textbook, phonetic symbols, and daily phrases.
0: So essentially, you had six months to learn how to read Chinese.
1: Of course, not completely. Yeah. We, we only got through, I think, the first book, which is which covers like what kids learn in one semester,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: it's simple phrase like "how should how uh things like that. Um, it was no way enough to go into college. Mm-hmm. So, in the classroom, um, the ad- one advantage I had was that textbooks here in university are in English. Oh, okay. So I was able to study on my own mm-hmm. and ask the teachers if I had questions. Mm-hmm. And having prepared the material myself, I could, I started to um, try to understand what the teacher was speaking in classes. So eight hours a day was all Chinese instruction,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I feel that's the best way to learn. I had 39 classmates, all Taiwanese.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So it was really intensive. Yeah. The first year was tough, but mm-hmm. it it helped it really helped me.
0: okay yeah Now, of course, before coming here, you had some experience learning other languages. Do you think that helped you? just the concept of knowing how to learn a new language?
1: The first foreign language I learned was German okay uh, I was two. I didn't really know I was learning a language. I didn't make any conscious effort to learn it. Right. So I don't think that helped. Okay. Um, I do not... I have not learned any other languages. Oh, okay. Well, um, no, that's not right. So I lived in Nigeria. The the official language there is English. Okay. We did not have to learn the local languages. Hmm. But we did do Pidgin English. And... Uh, Nigeria being surrounded by French-speaking countries, we did have a bit of French mm-hmm. in high school. Okay. Yeah, but it never actually learned a language to um, to, to live with it to, or to survive with it.
2: Right.
1: Um, I think no. So not learning other languages that helped me, but I feel um, Hindi, mm-hmm. knowing Indian languages, I feel is what helped. How oh, so? Um, Hindi has so many sounds, so many um, um We have we have so many of them. English has only twenty six. Mm-hmm. There are many sounds in Mandarin that do not exist in English. Okay. So for a uh, foreigner or for a Westerner to learn Chinese, mm-hmm. it doesn't come out as accurate as it could come out for an Indian because, oh, okay. of, because of the large variety of sounds that we have in Hindi. And even in Sindhi. Sindhi has even more.
2: Okay.
1: Um, in Hindi, for example, for um, the letter K, uh-huh. it's used to depict K in Chinese. Okay. And G uh-huh. is it's done with a G in Pinyin. Right. But Actually, that's not the real sound. The real sound, if you look at Hindi, we have ka, k, g, and G. Wow! So we have a k, which is Indians don't say k; we say k. Okay. And then there's a k, which is a kh. Uh uh-huh. And then there's a ga, uh-huh. is from the throat, which is which can be shown with a g. And right. then there's a g, which is a gh. Okay. So the Chinese ones are K uh-huh. and ka. Just a K and a KH. Okay. But you can't do that in, in English.
2: Right.
1: In English, they can only differentiate between G or K. Yeah. There's nothing in between. Uh, okay. So I think that helped with the uh, pronunciation of the consonants. Hmm. Um, tones are a challenge to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think that comes with practice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just listening to it more and practicing more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Another, I um, the ch sound, ch ch, sh, zh, that seems to be a challenge, challenge for a lot of foreigners. Right. Um, Westerners and Asians alike.
0: So you found that part easy. I
1: did not, yeah, I found all of those really easy. I still can't figure out why people find it difficult to pronounce those.
0: Because, <laughs> yeah, you have the extra background of knowing the, the different sounds in Hindi.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
0: All right. So you, so when you were here doing your, your university degree, did you plan on sticking around in Taiwan beyond that?
1: No, we didn't know at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when my father's tenure was over, mm-hmm. I had previously applied for um, to, into the master's program at NTU, okay. and I got accepted. Mm-hmm. So even though my parents were going back, we, I decided to stay.
0: Oh, so it your was, parents ended up going back, but you stayed on. That's right. Oh, ah, okay.
1: So it was a uh, fate, right? It was not planned.
0: So, what was the subject of your master's degree?
1: Business management. Okay. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, at that time, did you know what type of work you wanted to get into?
1: Um. Not clearly. No, mm-hmm. it was. I definitely did not think about translation or interpreting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it Was probably business I studied in Tatung University mm-hmm. and I'd received scholarship so I was uh, I had a commitment to work with Tatung for some time
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so I did that and uh, um, I before I graduated from my master's program I joined the Indian trade office okay which had just started it was um, it was just I and the ambassador
2: mm-hmm. Uh
1: In the office, we started from scratch. Okay. Uh, So that was really nice, and I was, I I thought I would probably do that for a long time.
0: So you you liked the work of of tying India and Taiwan together?
1: I did, I did, very Mm much so, yeah.
0: Right. And so when you decided to get into your, your current field now, obviously there's different when you think of translation in general, there's different aspects that you mentioned before. There's the speaking, there's the the writing. Uh, so what made you decide to go into the, the simultaneous interpreting that you're doing now?
1: Um, it was accidental. I was quite active in the... Uh, okay, so there are not too many Indians who spoke a lot of Chinese at that time and could read and write it. Uh-huh. So that's why the... When the trade office was set up, they they looked they found me through different various different sources, brought them to me, and I started working there. Um, and my third year there, I had a colleague who used to do interpreting, mm-hmm. and she was migrating to the U.S. Mm-hmm. and she needed to uh, recommend someone who could take her place. No That's how I got into the job of, um, of being a professional translator. Mm-hmm. Before that, of course, I would do a lot of translation and interpretation related to my work. Mm -hmm. Since we would have delegations coming in from India, we would have presentations on tourism and stuff like that. And I would also go with the director um, to do uh, projects. But I wasn't actually a translator.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So that's how I got into it. When my colleague was migrating, I went to um, my first official translation project. Mm -hmm. And I really liked it. Um, interpreting was it was really it was very interesting
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, if you prepare a little bit in advance and you just go there do your job and you're done with it you don't have to take any work home mm. it gave me a lot of flexibility I could see that um, I would have lots of uh, free time to be with my kids I was expecting my first child at that time
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that's how I started uh, with interpreting. Um, so, I do translation, but very rarely. Okay. Yeah, I find it takes up too much time. Hmm. And... I, If I do translation, I prefer to do it translating into English. Okay. Because I feel it's always better to have a native speaker of your target language. Right. Doing the translation.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and... Um, there are enough people who do that. That's not my... Strength, Hmm. right, and it's not my niche. So,
0: so you mentioned uh, doing some preparation work. So, is this figuring out kind of like industry terms and things like that for what you're doing?
1: Yes, definitely, because interpretation could cover any different, so many different areas. Mm -hmm. You could be called to um, interpret for political negotiation or business negotiation or. To the police station to help interpret for someone who's in custody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, could be various different fields, medical, art. Um, so you, the um, you have to prepare.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we do expect and request clients to provide us with the information beforehand okay. about what might be um, the content. Right. And, yeah, preparation could go from a few hours in advance to weeks in advance, Mm, depending depending on the field and depending on how much data is provided Right. how difficult or um, specialized the content will be. Right. Yeah, technical.
0: Now, um, I'm fascinated about one aspect of the the simultaneous uh, interpreting so, can you explain how that works? So, is that that's for like when you go to conferences and things, and they provide headsets to some of the attendees?
1: That's correct. That's the uh, like in the UN.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what's done. Um, interpreting ha- there are various kinds of interpreting. Uh-huh. Um, the typical one that's most common and it's not restricted only to interpreters is you have a You have two friends who don't speak the same language, and you do. You speak both languages, and you just help them communicate with each other by translating what the other is saying. Right. So that would be consecutive translation. Another form of consecutive translation would be if um, someone's giving a speech Mm -hmm. on, on the stage, and... There are uh, a lot of people in the audience who do not speak that language. Mm -hmm. Then they will just have a translator, an interpreter standing up on stage on the side. And after the speaker finishes a paragraph, the interpreter he'll pause. The interpreter translates that for the audience. That will be consecutive as well.
0: Uh So that sounds that sounds much easier.
1: That's what people think, but actually, I I don't. Yeah, I beg to differ. Oh, For console, you, have to,
0: you have to remember You have to what remember, ah,
1: yes. Okay. For short consecutive, you have to remember what's been said, and then you have to translate that. For longer consecutive, if it's a sentence, you can do short consecutive. But if it's longer, like if it's a whole paragraph, you have mm. to take notes.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And your notes, the speed of your note-taking has to keep up with the speaker's speed of speaking,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is tough. Right. And then after you... Uh, after the speaker's done speaking and you're translating from your notes, you have to be able to read those notes that you took at such speed,
2: oh, okay.
1: which tend to contain shorthand, cursive, right. um, and there's a high chance of being misread.
0: So in that situation, do you take notes like in Chinese, or would you do it in English and then translate on the fly?
1: I take my notes in English, okay. that comes more natural to me, right. except for a few words or characters that sure. are so much easier to just put down in Mandarin.
2: Right, just like one Mandarin
1: yeah. yeah, one Mandarin character can can represent a whole like phrase in English then I would just do that. Uh, okay. But most of it would be in English. On the other hand, a Chinese translator would do it the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus we have some symbols that we that we commonly use. Uh, and that's what they teach in the interpreting in the interpreting schools, translation schools. Oh, okay. Consecutive, so consecutive taking.
0: Yeah. Ah, so you went through the whole school process learning how I, to do this. I
1: I did not. No.
0: Oh, okay. I just learned on
1: the job. <laughs> I my uh, major in college and grad school was business management. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so that's consecutive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Then there is whispering, which is. Uh, majority of the audience understands the speaker's language, and there's just one or two people who don't. Okay. So they, they'll have an interpreter sitting next to them. Oh. Just okay. whispering to them. Um, oh. that's, that's kind of simultaneous. Right. Without the equipment.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Yeah. And then we have simultaneous with the equipment. So the speaker is speaking up there, and there are interpreters sitting in booths mm. at the back or on the side. Right. And, uh, they have their microphones which then are connected um, to a whole um, technical system, which, uh, and uh, listeners of the other language mm-hmm. who don't understand the speaker's language, they will ha- receive headsets, mm-hmm. which receive signal from the interpreter's mic, mm-hmm. via, usually via infrared. Okay. Yeah, and then, so this is done simultaneously.
0: So there might be multiple language yes. ones going on in the background.
1: Yes, so if it's a common language like English, yeah. and there are audiences like in the UN, you have people from Europe, from um, China, Korea, Japan. So they'll have different interpreters in different booths mm-hmm. translating into the different languages. Mm, okay. If it's a rare language like Ukrainian mm-hmm. or Polish, yeah. there are not too many uh, Mandarin interpreters who would understand Polish. Mm. So you would require one main interpreter interpreting from. Polish into English, hmm. and then all the other interpreters receive this Polish interpreter's output. The English. In the English, and then translate that into the other languages like English, uh, Chinese or Korean or whatever. This is called relay interpreting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's um, kind of like informal simultaneous interpreting
2: uh-huh. where
1: it's a smaller event. Okay. And um, the organizers don't either don't have the budget or the space to set up a booth for interpreters mm-hmm. then they would just have a, um, an, a an address system which has so there's transmitter for the interpreter and receivers for those who want to listen. It's kind of like the tour guide system you would see maybe at the National Palace Museum.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the tour guide is in front speaking into his little mic
2: mm-hmm.
1: and people in the back have their little receiver devices with the one earpiece to listen to what the tour guide is saying. This system, the tour guide system is used also for interpreting.
0: So in a case of, uh, so when you're translating from Mandarin to English, a lot of times the word order and things of sentences is different and you have to, you know, put the words, reformulate into a proper sentence, right, into English. Yes. So you have to kind of think ahead. Is that how it works? Like, what is this person saying? And, oh, okay, this is what he's talking about. Because in English, you might say the other word first. The word at the end, you might say that first.
1: Yeah. We don't translate each word as it comes out. Yeah. We translate each sentence or at least a phrase. Yeah. Um, One contextual uh, proposition.
2: Okay. Translated
1: at a time. And uh, with practice, Mm -hmm. you know what to expect. Right. Um, this is also the reason why we need material for preparation ahead of time, ah, especially okay. presenters' slideshows. So we kind of have an idea of what, ah,
2: okay, okay.
1: what they're going to be talking about. If we have the vocabulary ready, ready, yeah. then it's easier to um, just reformulate the word order in our minds okay. so that it comes out more yes. sensibly in yeah. the target language. Right. It doesn't take as much effort as if as if we would have to think of words or look up words at that time, that would take much longer and we would miss uh, fresh speech coming out.
0: Okay, got it.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. It's very fascinating. Um, if you don't mind, I would like uh, some thoughts of yours on uh, the education system here. Um, so in in your case, I guess you have nothing to compare it to, right? Going to university here versus going to university anywhere else?
1: Yeah, I've not gone to university anywhere else.
0: <laughs> okay. And then uh, you mentioned you have kids now. Now they're going through the education system. Are they going through the local system or like an international system?
1: International system. Okay. And
0: you're you're happy with how everything's progressing there?
1: Currently, yes. In hindsight, I would have liked to um, put them through local school at the elementary level. Okay. Perhaps till third grade. Mm Mm-hmm so that they can have a good foundation in Chinese oh, okay. and then um, switch them over to the international system.
0: So right now, um, I, they've, the program they've been going through has been in English from the beginning? Yes. So that's their dominant language? Correct. Uh, so how's their, their Mandarin?
1: Their Mandarin is good. They went to uh, Mandarin Kindergartens and they both take, uh, they had Mandarin as a subject in school,
2: mm-hmm.
1: both of them, um, and they have. So there's there's these uh, standardized tests mm-hmm. for different languages, and there's one for Mandarin. The AP it's an American College Board exam in Mandarin. Okay. So um, my daughter has passed that with the highest grade, so that's okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other foreign students who pass this, but are not necessarily able to speak mandarin which is a pity okay um my kids speak mandarin because they have lots of local friends and uh they're more open to not shy about speaking in chinese
0: okay
1: like some other foreigners Hmm. but i would have uh liked them maybe to be a bit stronger in character recognition character writing right but then on the other hand a lot of the local kids aren't able to do much of that anymore because everything is on the computer these days
0: right it's all so
1: typing. kids don't yeah kids don't write as much that I've, I I taught my both my kids to um, type Chinese with using pinging right quite early
0: okay. and I
1: think that has helped so even though they're not able to write the characters they're able to type them out mm. with the aid of a computer yeah.
0: now for someone coming to Taiwan to learn Chinese, Uh, Would you recommend they spend a lot of time learning how to write when, like you said, uh, a lot of the communication these days doesn't require written? Do you still think that's an important aspect?
1: It depends what you're learning Chinese for. If it's uh, just as a tool to do other studies or other business, then no, you don't need to learn to write Chinese. Okay. Yeah, especially with the popularity of simplified Chinese around the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, traditional Chinese is beautiful.
0: Yeah.
1: It's great if you know it, but I don't think it's a necessity. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's more important to learn to recognize the characters. Right. And if writing them out is the only way you learn to recognize them, then go ahead and write them. But the goal should be to be able to recognize them. Right. Know their sounds, be able to read them out if you see them on a, on a, on a street sign or in a, in a book title or something. Right. Yeah. Um, more important than that, I would. Su- um, pinging is very uh, useful mm-hmm. to learn Chinese and f- for foreigners. Mm-hmm. Um, like non Indians, they would use pinging, and, mm-hmm. which is fine. But uh, for Indians, I would suggest um, learning the phonetic symbols. The ju- po- in- po- Yeah. Juing fu ha. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least uh, using Hindi. Alphabet oh. to to um, learn the pronunciations for a more accurate Chinese pronunciation.
0: So you could probably come up with your own course going from <laughs> Hindi speakers to Mandarin, right? The transition. could be
1: yeah, <laughs> because if yeah, if you already know Hindi, then there's no point in actually learning because learning doing is like learning another language, an extra okay. language. Okay. So if you already know a Hindi yeah. alphabet. Right. Then you can forget the pinging, forget the juing, Just use Hindi to learn Chinese characters.
0: Hmm. And does it have any other advantages over Pinyin? Like does it? I think like you mentioned earlier. You think it's better for pronunciation and such. Yeah, hmm.
1: that's that's the only benefit. Uh, it's easier. It'll be easier for them to. Um, I think remember even memory remember pronunciations and pronounce more accurately. Hmm. These would be the two benefits. But they would still need to learn pinging if they someday want to type Chinese. So well, the only can... language you read, you can read it with uh, Hindi. But if you want to type it, unless they know Hindi typing. Is that well, what you, you can, would
0: say? Well, you can type with Juin, right? Like That's how most of the locals type, right?
1: You could type with Juin, but then that's learning another keyboard. If you already know English oh, okay, okay. Yeah, typing.
2: Okay. Right, got it.
1: If you already know English typing and you're fast at English typing, yeah. don't do Juin ty- typing <laughs> because the keyboard layout is completely different. You have right. to memorize a new keyboard. Right, right, right. Yeah.
0: Oh. And then the other advantage, I guess, with Juin is with because locals, a lot of them don't know Pinyin, right? Because they yeah. never had to learn it. Yeah. And so there seem to be a lot of materials, especially for kids and stuff, that have the the phonetic symbols Juin. next to it.
1: Yes, Hmm. material from Taiwan. But these days we're getting a lot of material from Hong Kong, Singapore that's in traditional characters with pinyin and jewing.
0: So they... So uh, native Singapore, Hong Kong, they use pinyin to learn? Is that how it
1: is? Yeah. I think jewing is is a very Taiwanese thing.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I found here like uh, when... Early on, when I was learning Chinese, if there was a word and I wanted to communicate and I tried to show someone, a local person, the opinion, they would have no idea. In fact, yeah. they're fascinated how you can read that and turn yeah. that into Chinese.
1: Interestingly, Taiwanese is written with English letter English letters. Oh, really? Yeah. Taiwanese pronunciation is done with English letters. They don't use doing. So they have either the characters yeah. or um, the words are... Spelled out in English letters.
0: So you're saying if you go to a, a, a class where they're teaching Taiwanese to locals, they'll be using English letters in there?
1: Yes. Oh,
0: that's I went to one. Uh-huh. I
1: was trying to learn Taiwanese about like six, seven months ago.
0: Uh huh.
1: Yeah. I went to one class. I got the material.
2: Uh huh.
1: And I was hoping I'd, um, I, I just, um, I know some Taiwanese, Uh and since I had the book and it was all in English, I felt I could just practice at home Mm -hmm. if I get around to doing it. Okay.
0: (laughs) All right. And so, uh, long-term for your kids, do you know if they plan to stick around here, or do they have any plans to go
1: (laughs) My daughter is eager to go elsewhere. Oh, really? Yeah. She'll be graduating next year, so she's looking at college and other places.
0: Oh, Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us and sharing your insights. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass on any feedback or comments that people have to you.
1: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure.
0: Okay. Thanks, Priya. Bye. Bye-bye.